Hello and welcome to Gifts of the Weird. I am Jan Tiered, your host, and I am thrilled to be back again for the second time with Luke and Bat, and we are going to discuss Loki tonight. And uh, I will explain what that means in a minute, but or so. But <laughs> we are back again with Bat and Luke. Bat Colazzo is my guest, and she is a queer heathen of color, a writer, a crafter, a visual artist, and serves as the editor-in-chief of the Troth's upcoming Loki devotional. Yay! Yeah. Bat lives in Arizona and leads classes and rituals at Fantasia Crystals in Phoenix, and she is here representing her own voice. And welcome to the podcast, Bat. Thank you so much. Great. Great to have you here. And Luke Babb is an eclectic, an eclectic, uh, I got to lay off the fireball. Luke <laughs> Babb is an eclectic polytheist and a proud member of the Troth. They are a member of the Chicago Temple of the Fellowship of the Phoenix, a pagan order focused on queer experiences and divinity. And they are the writer of the monthly column or of a monthly column for the Wild Hunt. Luke, welcome to the show. And what's the name of your column? Oh, uh, that would assume that it has a name. It's mostly just whatever I decide to write about this month. Okay, that sounds great to us. <laughs> Yay! Welcome, both of you. I am so thrilled to have you back again for the first time, I guess we could say. And let's, yeah. <laughs> let's explain what happened. <laughs> so we are here to talk about Loki today. And our first conversation was sometime in December, wasn't it? Mid-December or something like that before you all? It was my birthday. It was December 11th. Oh, yes, wow. that's right. And you shared it with us. Isn't that sweet? And then the files kept shutting off and they kept shutting down and we kept losing each other. And I thought I had like four or five different files between the three of us. And when I finally started trying to uh, listen to them and piece them together, they were so off kilter that it was going to take uh, many, many hours, at least a dozen, I think, to try to stitch them together. And actually, part of Bat's, like half of Bat's file was missing. So there was just no way that I was going to be able to salvage those recordings. And um, really, I didn't want to because we had so much fun discussing with one another. I really wanted us to be able to get together again and have this conversation so that we could uh, talk in a flowing and freeform manner and not have to worry about trying to do that. So here we are again. You have graciously given up an hour and a half or so of your time for us to talk. So welcome and thank you for coming to back to the po uh, Gifts of the Weird podcast. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for all your hard work on the Frankenstein episode before you realized we should just re-record it. We appreciate it. <laughs> All of these things. Yes, thank you so much. That's Frankenstein. <laughs> yes, that's true. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> and if no one knows what that is a reference to, you need to go see um, Young Frankenstein. That is my all-time favorite comedy ever. So I, I giggle myself to uh, pieces every time I, <laughs> I watch it. I love it. Uh, so Absolutely one of my favorites, yeah. It's great, yes. So we are here to talk about Loki, and I am so thrilled about this because so many cool things have happened, and we're even further away. We're actually almost closer to the year mark from when the Troth lifted its Loki ban of public Troth-sponsored-only rituals. So what that meant was that in... In the Troth, which is a uh, inclusive heathen organization to which Luke and I belong to. Bat, do you belong to uh, the Troth as well? Yeah, absolutely. Sorry, I don't remember. Okay. Yes. So, uh, definitely. Oh, yes, of course. <laughs> yeah. You are the editor of the upcoming Loki <laughs> devotional. Am, How yeah. can I be so. <laughs> <laughs> Just a very strange freelance situation. Yeah. <laughs> uh, again, fireball. I, I'm just going to blame everything it's on totally fireball. Okay, it's totally okay. But yes, I'm, I, yeah. <laughs> so we're all members of the Troth, and so for a long time, about what a dozen years ago or so, the the reed that was in charge at the time decided that they would put a a memorandum in place or a moratorium in place that Loki would not be hailed at any Troth-sponsored events. And for a very long time, 
people who followed Loki and worked with Loki in a lot of ways still joined the Troth and they endured that that hold back. And finally, after some, uh, doing some due diligence, the current read, uh, of which I am a member, decided, uh, was able to um, poll the membership and find that the membership was interested in lifting that unofficial ban. And we did. And last year at Troth Moot, we held the very first on-schedule moot or bloat to that honored specifically uh, Loki. And it was a really a wonderful experience. And as a, as a shield or as a, a, a pay for that disservice to Loki, for the next 10 years, a Loki bloat will be on the main schedule of all subsequent Troth moots. And that is a really good thing. How did that make you two feel who are followers of Loki? I mean, it's why I rejoined, honestly. Um, I was a member of the Troth in, uh, I think, around 2016 for a year. Uh, And it was in the middle of this conversation sort of ramping up. And it was was really unpleasant um, to, to be in an organization where there was a lot of, like, pretty pretty conver- like pretty intense conversations about why why not to work with the deity that I work with mm-hmm. um, and like I had I, I all the other things about the truth were great and I was really excited to be a part of it but I let my membership lapse and it wasn't until until I heard that the the ban was being taken off that I was just was like well i need to rejoin and i need to be there for troth moot like i need to be there for the first ritual which is actually how i met both of you it's true yeah yeah so in my experience um i joined i want to say about maybe a, a bit over two years ago um so i joined before the ban had been lifted and Quite honestly, although I was was a member before the ban was lifted, I was not nearly as emotionally invested in the troth um, as I became when I saw the work that was being done, the really, really intense work to to get this voted on, to get this lifted. Um, I was definitely involved a little bit here and there in some of those those pretty intense online debates. Some of them were, were a little more circular, so I, I maybe stepped back a bit. But um, yeah, again, I I really, really appreciated the other things that the Troth had to offer, which is why I joined in the first place. But of course, I was not pleased uh, with the fact that the deity that I'm oath to, um, you know, had the specific ban in place. So I was very, very pleased. I had not been to a Troth moot until the ban was lifted and I immediately started saving money and became significantly (laughs) more involved um, emotionally and just with my time in the troth. Um, Particularly what you, what you mentioned, the, the shield, um, the 10 years, I super appreciated that quite honestly. So it wasn't just lifting the ban, but the idea that this has been going on for 10 years. It was never fully voted on formally here's an offering to Loki and also to Loki's followers. I appreciated that. That has, that has definitely improved my Troth experience and Troth Moot was wonderful last year. Um, and I plan on going this year as well. That's awesome. I am not a, a specifically follower of Loki, but I always stood as an ally. I, my relationship with Loki grew over time, of course, as a, a, a young baby heathen. You know, I heard all the stories like, oh, he's just doing this and that. He's the chaos bringer and all of that stuff. And then as I reached out and branched out on my own to learn about the stories and the lore, and even in reading the the stories from the Poetic Edda and the Prose Edda, you know, I formed quite a a what I think is a a broad and open relationship with Loki that hey uh he he or they are is a a person of the outsiders and i as a member of the lgbtqia community that was me and i felt like 
in a lot of ways, I was on that aspect of the fire, the the, the virtual fire and, uh, and the fire of a fellowship that I felt welcomed by Loki and and his family. And it just really made me feel so proud to be a member of the Reed that rescinded that band and listened to people and was and were and was able to have an influence in that decision so um, it was really awesome and uh, let's talk about the experience of the bloat at Trothmoot, which occurred last year in uh, washington and um that was really a great experience so how did what was your experience and before before i let you talk <laughs> sorry there were i think i recounted like 50 or 60 people in circle to honor and worship Loki. Or if they, if people didn't honor, should honor or worship Loki, uh, well, they honored him, but if they didn't worship with him or they weren't, he wasn't their patron, they stood as an ally. And to me, that was amazing. How did that feel to you to have so many people gathered in one place physically at one time and lift their horns and say their words and their de- their dedications or their praise or whatever to to Loki, who for in so many aspects of the heathen community is an outcast and put asunder as if he's the Christian or the heathen devil. You know? <laughs> uh, well, I think uh, I think that first of all, we need to really like shout out to Lisa and to Gary who made that happen. Yes, yeah, who organized and and led that. Mm-hmm. And it was oh they did a beautiful job. I, I thought it was wonderful. Um, in, in my experience, um, it was definitely it was a more emotionally intense experience than I was anticipating. Um, part of that, I think, was was a personal lesson for me. Uh, from Loki, um, because I am someone who, for a long time, um, was very restrained with my emotions, um, particularly crying. Um, I'm not someone generally who who has ever seen crying in front of anyone, but no one who met me at Trothmoot would know that because I spent most of the time sobbing <laughs> um, <laughs> in, in the best possible way. So I found it actually to be a really, really emotional experience. Um, I wasn't the only one crying either. Um, it was beautiful. It not. felt very, very powerful. Yeah, I think it was, I, it was really powerful. It was really important and i like i'm always very aware of of two things right i'm very aware of the spiritual significance of something and i'm very aware of the political significance and part of the reason we had nigh on 50 people in that circle and had to keep building the circle out was that the entire read showed up and even those who pretty explicitly don't work with loki showed up to show support and to pay shield and that was that that really let me know that like there was actual change happening and that people were signed on right mm-hmm. um yeah i totally agree it wasn't just lip service right exactly i also think that it was just i don't get a lot of opportunity because of all of the many factors of the heathen community around queer folks and around loki to be in community with other people who work with him. And that was really powerful for me. It was really important to me to see and hear other people's toasts specifically, because that was, that's just something I never get to see. I like, I, I have spent so much of my heathen career ready to fight on his behalf that being in community was just such a relief and such a, such a blessing. I was going to add to, um, in my experience, I have been, I have been blessed enough in my local community that, that I have had the opportunity to, to stand and bloat with other people, other heathens and hail Loki openly um, before Troth moot. But so I, I honestly can't even imagine how even more powerful that would be to someone who maybe doesn't necessarily have that as an opportunity um, in an everyday life situation. I will also um, add that my practice personally, for sure, um, 
there are lots of different kinds of heathenries, right? And, and uh, sometimes I think in my local area, there is a lot of focus on um, more historical practices, like um, kind of historical discussions, rather kind of a more academic leaning side of things, which which is really, really good. But what I really, really loved about Trosmoot actually was the strong spiritual, more religious element where I really felt like it was a bunch of people coming together for this devotional purpose um, rather than a more neutral historical discussion. I mean, both of those are really good, but that was something I was really craving. And I think that that was, that was fulfilled as well. And I really appreciated that. Yeah, that was, that was something special. And, and being a part of that ritual for me as a person who works mostly with a lot of the family, uh, it's it's a wonderful blessing to be a part of that, and I appreciate his embracing of our communities, uh, which is really wonderful. So that's great. I think it's interesting to hear you talk about working more with the family, um, partially because, like, you know, they're the Norse. Everybody is the family. Uh, whatever sort of relationship you think Odin and Loki had, they're very clearly brothers. Yes. Um and so that, like, the ev- like, even the most intense Odinist out there is working with the Loki family. Um, yeah, it's true. <laughs> <laughs> well, there is that there is that passage somewhere along the way, and I and I cannot quote it as well as I I could my Bible verses when I was a Christian. But there is that passage that says, "When you drink to Odin, you have to you have a drink for Loki," right? Yeah. That's in that's in Locusena, um, and and Loki points that out when he comes into the feasts. That um, I'm going to paraphrase, but basically he says, "Do you remember Odin in bygone days when we blended our blood together, and you swore that you would never take a drink um, if I wasn't served as well?" Um, and Odin is like, "Yes." Um, I do remember that. And that's when he, he basically says to have Loki sit down at the feast. Um, so yeah, I think that's something that, um, that sometimes gets systematically ignored (laughs) 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 by by people who work very closely with Odin and and are very, um, hesitant to even, um, you know, come anywhere near Loki, which is okay, but, but it is, it is real. It's in the lore. Um, so yeah, there's certainly, I definitely in my experience of those gods, um, again, there there are plenty of people who do work with one without the other, and everyone's path is their own, and I would not claim to tell someone what to do with their, their spiritual path. But in my experience of them, I could not have one without the other. <laughs> that, that working so closely with Loki has absolutely... Um, opened me up to working with Odin and when, and certainly I know multiple people who choose not to um, in either direction, but, but they certainly have a tie. They absolutely have a tie. So Odin counts as Loki's family too. And pretty much all of the gods then become Loki's family. (laughs) This is true. This is, this is, this is a good point. There's so much. And we've been talking about the Lokisana, which is one of the, the, most popular stories that people like to reference and there's so many other stories so when when i wanted to do this podcast i didn't want this to be a a tiptoe through the lore tips (laughs) (laughs) right but there is a lot there the loki is mentioned in lore and we have plenty of examples uh, of things and what people like to to utilize to minimize uh, working with Loki or to do that, uh, but we're not gonna we're not gonna go through all those. I mean, we can talk. We'll talk about them. We'll reference them in our conversations, and we'll just say un- unless you disagree and you want to talk about something specifically that if you really want to learn about those aspects of Loki, which happened so long ago or concurrently or however you view the timeline of the of the weird. And which I think mm-hmm. does happen concurrently as well as in the past and linear and it's very circular and really crazy. We have no idea. But um, the prose edda and the, the, the poetic edda have plenty of stories uh, 
to go through. And there's plenty of ways to read that, such as through um, Carolyn Larrington's translation, Jackson Crawford's translation, uh, Neil Gaiman's storytelling. Um, Ursula Dronke, if you want to be a big old nerd. <laughs> if, if you want to spend that much money or get it from the interlibrary loan, yes. <laughs> right. Interlo- interlibrary loans are our friends, and I really support that. I'm they are. going to support that right now. Interlibrary loans and buying from your local your metaphysical shops as much as you can. Yeah, absolutely. And and it's funny. Um, I guess for me, there are some people who are new to heathenry and, and they want to have a book to read that sort of references lore without actually having to read the lore, which is totally fine. I get it. Um, but for me, especially with Loki, when I go back to, especially like the poetic Edda, I think that he is such a vivid and dynamic like character in those stories that that honestly is my go-to if someone wants to learn more about Loki by reading. Um, So in addition to direct experience, um, actually practicing, making offerings, um, I am always suggesting specifically the Larrington version of the Poetic Edda is, is probably my favorite. And but I, the rest are really good too. I have like seven of them. <laughs> <laughs> About to say, uh, you walk, you know, you're in a heathen's house when you walk up to the shelf and there's an entire shelf of translations of the Poetic Edda. Um, of the same book, yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, I think that I think that part of it for me is that like I I like intro books a lot. I like um, I especially like books about people's practice, um, but part of I mean part of the the conversation here right is that Loki specifically gets a lot of people projecting onto him with their own experience or their baggage from other uh other religions or other like ways of understanding things um and I really think to your point that that like getting to encounter him in the original is the best way to encounter him directly short of actually, you know, like direct encounter religious practice. Right. I, I have not yet found a book with a reasonably unbiased retelling or a like, I mean, to be more honest, like a bias that I agree with. Um, That's fair. <laughs> right. Yeah. Because there is no, there is no, objective you know (laughs) it's all subjective but interpretation but yeah and I'd even say even Neil Gaiman who I really enjoy a lot of Neil Gaiman stuff um even in the the Norse mythology book there are some things that I sort of you know I nitpick I have questions sort of about why he chose certain things over others like for instance um in the retelling of Thrymskvita he has Thor wake up in bed with Sif and realize that his hammer is gone. Whereas in the original poem, he wakes up in bed with Loki. And that's a huge difference <laughs> like, well, in context. To, uh, to, be, yeah, to be fair, um, so it, uh, we're, mm-hmm. not given, we're not given time differences here. So he wakes up and the first that's thing true. he does is wake and up Loki. And immediately, yes. And that's yes. like, those are those are next to each other, but there's never like... And then, I mean, I, I also have that interpretation. I'm all, I also have the interpretation of he wakes up next to Loki. But, like, there is an argument to be made, and it's a real argument that is backed sure. up by the text, that he wakes up, time passes, he wakes up Loki. So, like, again, this is yes. a really great example of read the original. <laughs> it's a great example, yes. And that is very true that, that again, with the, there's no real objectivity here. It's however you read it. That is one example of something that I'm like, hmm. But again, yeah, I love the poetic out of, what can I say? <laughs> that is my go-to. And I'll yeah. say that if folks want to know where Loki is referenced and they want to read the stories and the, the poems that Loki is referenced in, you know, they can either. I mean. Yep. I mean, y'all, the entirety of the Poetic and Prose Edda are like 300 pages. Um, yeah. Uh, 
Yes. Well, I'm just saying that if they go to Wikipedia, they can find the mm. ad, the the references to Loki right there, and they can kind of go right to those stories um, directly. Please leave Wikipedia and pick up Carolyn's book or or one of the other translations that that is your preferred and favorite, and start reading that there. I mean, he's mentioned the Voluspa, the Lokasana, the Thrymskvida, the Regensmal, the Baldur's Dramar, the Fjolsvinsmal, and my my uh, pronunciation is North is not good, so I'm going to anglicize it, and the Gilfangening. So there's there's plenty of references there for a starting point. And just, yeah, I agree with you both that start with those stories and read what those those attestations, that's a big word, are, and then meditate on them and then invite Loki to teach you something. Uh, invite Loki to, to show what he's done and how he's responding to people today, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Which, um, which sort of reminds me too, if you all are cool about talking about this, um, I also, which, which people might find surprising given that I, I'm just talking about how much I love the lore and that's where I would direct people to. But I also have found that I myself am someone who constantly consumes as much pop culture that references Loki in it as possible. Like I am so <laughs> curious about modern depictions of Loki in various forms. Um, literally, if if someone wants me to watch something, all they have to be have to say is like, "Oh yeah, like Loki shows up in it," and I'm like, "Oh, okay, I'm gonna watch it." <laughs> <laughs> so I guess on the other hand too, I find it really interesting to sort of see how the gods can present themselves in these really modern, not necessarily quote unquote accurate retellings or reimaginings, um, and kind of if if myself or other people can find little aspects of our gods that we recognize within this, um, even if as a whole, the stories themselves are completely different or completely off in some ways. Either of you, you know, what you feel about pop culture depictions of, of Norse gods. But that's, uh, I Go ahead, John. I was going to say that's really a cool topic point a transition for us to move into because marvel loki tom hiddleston praise be his name is <laughs> <laughs> i mean who doesn't swoon over uh, tom hiddleston whether you're 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 straight or not right i mean tom hiddleston doesn't do it for me i mean he's just not me mean yeah enough. i was like oh okay me. <laughs> 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 That's so funny. You're the first two people that I that I have ever met that have That's said, oh, But yeah, no. no. Um, well, I find him quite cute. I have no interest in Tom Hiddleston, but that's okay. Well, <laughs> I, I find him very, uh, very cute and adorable as Loki, and he is a very sweet and wonderful person in everything else that I've ever seen, whether it be an interview as Tom or whatever character he's played. But the big elephants in the room for a lot of heathens maybe not necessarily us but for a lot of folks are oh it's marvel loki ah. and, uh, and i'm just like i think loki would quite find it very fun and interesting what do you think marvel loki if i if i had a dollar <laughs> for everybody who equates Loki, people who work with loki with like teenage girls who have a crush on tom hiddleston i would buy a ticket to go meet tom hiddleston <laughs> uh, one i think that that elephant in the room i think that that like mindset is part of a larger like cultural mindset that says that teenage girls can't like things and the things that they like are bad yeah, yeah it's super misogynistic i also yeah. think uh well from my experiences with loki as a god uh, he will take whatever entry you give him. And while, like, I really like the Thor movies, I really enjoy the Avengers, I'm a big Marvel fan, I went in to the first Thor movie straight out of my old Norse final in grad school. Like, I had done an all-nighter, I had taken my final on Old Norse, I walked out of that <laughs> final and into a movie theater to see Thor for the first time and was super pumped and watched it. And I was like, well, it was fun, but I don't know that guy. Um, <laughs> so yeah. like I, having already had the experience with like the, the Nor 
the Norse gods and the mythology. Um, I think it's a fun story, but I don't think it's my story. That being said, there are people out there who are seeing that, who are being super compelled by it, and are starting to do the reading and like reach out and building spiritual lives and reaching out to Loki because of that. And I think that like all good religious practices, their practice is going to grow and change and mature. But I also don't think that's a bad thing. I think that that's a great way to get interested in something. I agree. I totally agree. Um, it, it was not my experience. Marvel was not my experience that led me to heathenry, but I do know people who had that experience and I, yeah, you will never find me um, kind of mocking that because I, I think by all means the gods can use whatever they would like to use, uh, particularly really accessible media um, to reach out to people. Um, and so, yeah, I love that. Like, I guess, uh, so again, in my experience, pop culture didn't really lead me um, to the Norse gods, but, but certain pop culture has been influential. Like I would say um, the American gods book uh, was very compelling in terms of its portrayal of Odin, especially um, which has undoubtedly influenced like my working relationship with Odin. Um, and I don't know if either of you have seen this, but it's on my mind. Uh, the newest um, Netflix series Ragnarok. Okay. So I guess I shouldn't spoil for people who haven't seen it, but there, I have some problems with it. Um, there are a lot of things I don't agree with, like in terms of how they set it up um, and my own theological views. Um, but I will say that there are there is a particular portrayal of a God that I work with. So I'm trying not to spoil, <laughs> but it's, yeah, <laughs> um, that I thought was really, really well done. Uh, and I think that, Gods can absolutely use that to reach out to people. And you know, pop culture is not the basis for a, a religious experience, but it can lead people to explore more. I love that. <laughs> um, so uh, Loki has a very interesting direct family. I mean, we talked about his greater family, which is Odin and the others. Uh, and possibly, Literally everyone. Yeah, all right. Uh, but he has... <laughs> Everyone. He also has a very <laughs> yeah. direct, uh, direct lineage, again, Fireball, um, um, including uh, Hel, Fenrir, and Yor Jormungandr through Angerboda, Narfi and Nari through Sigen, and Sleipnir, who we've already mentioned, through Svadalfori. Uh, and uh, he has a really extensive and wonderful family. Do you work with more, uh, any of them on a regular basis in addition to, um, to Loki? Yeah, so for me, I do. Um, I work with all of them, actually. Um, I even, on a very, very regular basis, um, I, have, I have a set of rings that I wear every single day. Um, and I have... I'm, I'm looking at my hand right now. So basically I have rings or jewelry uh, for all, every one of his children and his, his two known partners in lore. So Angerboda and, and Sigyn. Um, so yeah, I, I actually work very closely with all of them. Um, I also work with um, Loki's parents as well um, to, to a lesser degree, but, but nonetheless, I do have, little representations of, of Laufey and Farbaudi on my altar awesome. as well. Um, and in my experience, yeah, in my experience, that was something that came pretty naturally when starting to work with Loki um, and having these direct spiritual experiences with him. I felt very guided to meet, quote unquote, meet and, and begin to honor all these different members of his family. So I very quickly went from, <laughs> here's this one god I'm encountering and feeling very um, compelled by, to, oh, now I have <laughs> an entire family. Um, and then not to mention, of course, then the rest of, of all the other Norse gods as well. Um, but yeah, I, I yes. <laughs> 
Um, but yeah, I, I do. I work very closely with every single one of his his children and his two partners. Awesome, Loki or Luke? How does that work with you? <laughs> Sorry, um, I, I, know. I caught that. Freudian slip, right? <laughs> uh, so I will not cut that out. Great, let it be passed down into infamy. Um, yeah. Uh, so <laughs> I so there's this. Again, I feel like a lot of the time I spend talking about like misperceptions, so you'll have to forgive me. Uh, but there's this misperception that I run into every so often that like people who work with Loki just work with Loki, that they're almost henotheistic in that they recognize that there are other gods, but they really only focus on the one. And that is so counter to how I understand him, um, because I have always understood him through his relationships with other spirits, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's how, yes. yeah, and that's how I understand like what kind of a what kind of a person he is, what's important to him, what's important to me in relating to him. So right now, I work most closely with Sigan and him, uh, Angerboda to. A certain extent, she has a spot on my altar. I absolutely have hell on my ancestor altar. And I'm sort of in the process of trying to figure out, like, how to incorporate the rest of the kids, to what extent they're interested in working. I've gotten, like, mixed signals of, like, the twins especially don't necessarily want to be touched all the time. Like, they don't necessarily want to interact, which I, like, I am a big... I mean, as a as a hard polytheist, like that is their boundary to set, and I'm absolutely like I recognize that. But like, I love all of the family, and I send that love out, even if they don't necessarily want to be in relationship. You know, I can't imagine why they would not. Yeah, it it makes total sense. I think that I I kind of get a sense of what Luke is talking about insofar as. Um, some of these beings, again, I'm also a hard polytheist, but and some of these beings have been through a lot of trauma or are currently going through it. Again, if, if mythic time is, is very cyclical and wobbly. So I hear that. I hear that experience. And I have sometimes felt that from certain, um, certain beings or certain deities of, of now is not a good time perhaps for them in relation to me or, or just in general. Um, but I super want to second what Luke just said as well, the idea, too, of, of that love, because um, I think that's so important to talk about that, at least for me, and it sounds like for them as well, um, this idea that we really, we love Loki, we love his family, like we absolutely, like I, I just absolutely adore like all of his kids, um, all of his family. And I think that's a huge part of this practice, at least for me, is this sense of, of love, of just total outpouring of love, and then receiving that in return spiritually. And I think that that's also like, I think that that's a direct response to, at least for me, right? A response to and reflection of the love that I get from him. Like, I... Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I experience Loki as a being with just like untold depths of love for their family, who is fierce in their protection and heartbroken in, in their losses. And that is a lot of energy. Um, uh, mm-hmm. But it's also something that like, I mean, it's like anybody else. When you love them, you love their family because they love their family. And like, yes. you can grow relationships with their family as individuals but even if that never happens you're going to love them because they're important to the person you love yeah yeah i felt that way when i've been working with the family and with loki and loki's not my devotee god and i have worked more with um sigin actually (laughs) which is kind of interesting Mm -hmm. and luke we talked about this when i was in chicago a few months ago uh how Fenrir has been very prominent in my life and my love for for Fenrir's story and for the story between Fenrir and Tyr. And I even got very emotional uh, at the restaurant we were in. I, I almost broke out crying thinking about that friendship that they have mm-hmm. and that love that they have for each other. And I intend to write a story about it because it's still floating in my head. And just the amount of love that Loki has for people that is not representative of what 
certain Vicatru or Brostru or whatever you want to call them, people that are so hard set against Loki and his family are. It's I think it's just really, really an amazing thing to work with the entire family. They have brought so much to the Aesir and the Vanir and the Jotun places that they they can't just be set aside as if they're insignificant and not and not worthy. They shouldn't be bound up in things. And I think that uh, it's wonderful that we have so many of us who are bringing that about. Yeah, yeah I think it's uh, I think it's <laughs> yeah. interesting too yeah. that yeah, I I totally agree. Um, I think it's interesting too. I think sometimes sometimes when I see people um who are very opposed to Loki's family who are just like, oh, well, they're monsters, so it doesn't, you know, why would you want to work with them or does it matter? I, I don't know. It just makes me think about sort of anyone. This is people who are marginalized are not the only people who work with Loki and Loki's family, but yes. I feel like there's more of us, whether it's people who are queer, um, disabled people, any, any groups of people who by society are sometimes deemed as less than human or monstrous or just otherwise socially unacceptable. I think perhaps are more able to to use some critical thinking and kind of look past the idea of monster equals inherently bad, um, unworthy of love or something like that and be like, well, who's, who's saying they're a monster? What does that mean in this context? Like what is the, what is surrounding the situation? So that's kind of something I think about because I guess from my perspective, literally the first time I read the lore, <laughs> I immediately was sort of looking in those like little nooks and crannies of like questioning sort of what I was reading, what what was being portrayed, who's the quote unquote good guy or bad guy, and kind of trying to complicate that. Um, I think, and that's been beneficial for me, and that has certainly led me to working closer, um, more closely with Loki's family. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I mean, my understanding, sort of how I think about that, right, is I'm going to take queer folks as an example, right? People in American society are sort of taught that they should be a certain way, that it's just going to play out that way. Like you're going to get to a certain age, you're going to get married, you're going to have kids. Like this is the narrative. And people who are LGBTQ plus have to have to question that narrative from an early age. Like we have to recognize this doesn't fit me. I have to come up with my own story, right? So we're taught this sort of, I think, right. much more much more intense way of looking at a text, which is sort of like, who's, what story am I being told here? Who's supposed to be the good guy? Are they? Does the story back that up? And like my first read through of the lore and specifically of the Ragnarok myth and the things that lead up to it, there's a lot of, even, uh, your average tearsman will tell you that there's a lot of backhanded dealing and sort of like not entirely honorable action on behalf of, uh, on the, on the part of the Aesir. Like mm -hmm. that's, that's there in the text. That's part of the lore. And like looking at that, honestly, I think start the questions of why then are, am I being told that these, that these people are bad and these people are good if the ones who are behaving badly are the supposed heroes. Right. And I think I like what you said about looking at that honestly, too, because for me anyway, this is not to say that I am, you know, anti-Icere gods or um, that I don't worship them. I mean, Loki is included amongst them in, in a lot of texts as well. But I think what Luke said about looking at it, honestly, it, 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 it only deepens, at least for me, it deepens my spiritual connection to those gods as well. Um, like to be able to look at a god like Tyr or like Odin um, and see those really complicated aspects um, that are not always morally upright um, or maybe in the case of Tyr, like well-intended, but, but sometimes harmful, um, I, I would say that deepens my spiritual connection rather than making those gods my enemies. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think that that's, you know, yeah, I think that that's it. I think that we have to hold complicated truths. And I think specifically that like 
like I, I also don't think that the Yolton or that Loki's family are always good guys all the time, a hundred percent. Nothing right. did, never did anything wrong. They're so awesome, right? No. Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, I also work with the Aesir. I also love the Aesir. I also am aware that people are complicated and politics are more complicated and end of the world politics are even more complicated. And like, the, <laughs> right. like nobody, no human is ever a, a total hero. No human is ever a hundred percent good. And I think that it is really unrealistic to ask the gods to be a hundred percent good or bad. Mm-hmm. Then again, I also work with the, with the Hellenics and like, over there, we're not even talking about the idea of like a hundred percent good or bad. Like, yeah, you're right. So we've had some really great stuff here. Oh my gosh! You know, one of the the important things that I've really felt about Loki, which has been wonderful, is the I don't, I don't know how to explain it. I guess the only visual I have is that I, I see him standing there with a giant cloak, and his arms are open. And he's just like embracing us and he's embracing anyone who feels outside of the, the structure of Norman, nor the normal or what other people are trying to prescribe upon them for whatever reason. And a lot of it is the LGBTQ, the disabled, the um, ageism affected people or people of color and all of that. But a lot of it, I think for me that I vision uh, visualize when I see Loki is that anyone can come to him and sit at his fire and feel unless they're assholes and white supremacists or whatever, you know, racists and all that (laughs) um, feel like they can be welcome at that fire and be open and welcome to be a part of that greater family and community. It's really amazing to me. So, so two things I, that, yes, yes. And, um, there's two things that like come out to me about that. One is that I think part of it. So, so let's talk about chaos for a second. Uh, because every time Loki comes up, somebody says chaos. And then I ask them to pay me $20 because they're using it incorrectly. (laughs) But, uh, well, they never actually pay me. <laughs> uh, Darn it. Is that, is that coming through? They need to pay you. Right? What I understand Loki as, right? Because, like, trickster, yeah, sort of, yes, but that word is also misused a lot of the time. Uh, I, under- I understand him as the god who sees a system that is in place that is harming somebody or a system that has gone too far and is no longer useful and breaks that system so that you can rebuild a new, more useful one. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think that a lot of people who in today's day and age are being marginalized are people who the system is no longer serving. Yes. So people, so all these lists of people that we've given, I would include people with like terminal illnesses in there. I would include uh, people with non-standard family configurations. Um, those are people who the system is harming. Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, they're going to find solace and rec- and like uh, allyship here. I also think that like, yeah, absolutely. Everybody can show up at this at this fire. Um, but I think about that the same way I think about people who are showing up to to any sort of like allyship work. They should probably get committed to looking at systems and looking at how we're all complicit in those systems and looking at what we can do to uh, start dismantling them when necessary. The quote that always comes to my head is, uh, is actually a C.S. Lewis quote from the Chronicles of Narnia where they're talking about Aslan, who is, who is, let's be clear, the Christian God. They're talking about the Christian God. And the line is, well, yes, but he's not a tame lion. Like, gods are dangerous. Gods are big and scary and, like, will make you uncomfortable. And that, you got to show up for that. Like, that's, that's the appeal. That's the good part. It is. I, I like that very much. That's a, a great way to, to phrase it. Thank you. I, yeah. So, 
I I realized that I should have like a- asked a question at the end there, but like I just sometimes I just get really excited. Uh-huh. Hi, Luke. Hey, so we're back. We had technical difficulties again, but fortunately not after an hour's worth. So we were able to have Bat on with us for so much long and her voice is so amazing and wonderful. And we're going to wrap this up right now because um, we don't want to tempt the the gods of Zencaster, <laughs> wherever they are. Uh, what do you think? <laughs> I think and- that sounds great. Yeah, and and um, Bat is going to be providing us with uh, some information that I will be adding on in a little bit, but we'll just wrap it up right now, and we'll uh, we'll just kind of finish up some things. So, um, one of the things that came into being is the new book by uh, Conla Freilison called "Turning the Wheel," and he wrote a cigar bloat, which takes place in sometime mid March, and. The focus is Sigin and Loki, which is actually really cool because uh, Kanla is working from the Vendel period, which is the pre-Viking period from Sweden and talking about some of those things. And he's got some very interesting concepts in that book, which is available on their website and I'll have links in the notes. And it's really interesting to me that um, he has developed a ritual devoted to Loki on the quote-unquote, Wheel of the Year. Um, that's kind of cool. Have you seen that uh, new ebook by him yet? Uh, I haven't seen Conlo's newest book, but I do, like, there are a lot of people who do practice a, a Loki holiday in their Wheel of the Year. Um, a lot of them are lined up more with uh, the, the heliacal rising of Sirius, um, to be real, real nerdy about it. Uh, which is the first day that you can see Sirius, the star, o- over the horizon. Oh, interesting. Uh, yeah, because one of the one of the attestations that we have is that Sirius used to be called Logabrenna, Loki's torch. And there, I, I'm I'm sure, as with all things, there's some like arguments about who said that where. But it's enough <laughs> that modern practitioners have sort of taken it and and used it. So that is often it's end of the summer. Depending on where you are in the world, so I'm really looking forward to seeing Conla's Conla's ritual. Actually, I didn't know that that was in the new book, and I always really like Conla's work. So, I I do as well. And his development of the Hyther craft is really an interesting process, uh, pulling into a lot of things that were not focused on in the Viking Age, which is um, the of course the the most common era that people like to tap into. So there's some really interesting things that Kala is bringing out through archaeology and study and translations of lore and material. So it's really kind of cool, really good stuff. So, and of course that, what you were talking about was actually quite interesting as well. So it's really great to see some honoring of Loki on the holidays or the high days. Um, some I, great things. Like that. Yeah. And I think that like, like with all parts of practice, right? Find the thing that works for you. And as long as it works for you, I think that he'll like it a lot. That's right. I mean, <laughs> anytime what we can celebrate Loki and his family, I think is a, is a really great thing. And we've had some really great experiences and we've talked about so much wonderful stuff about Loki. And I'm so, so sad that technology is not allowing us to continue with Bat because I know that she has some really interesting things and we'll, we'll definitely put those in some of her thoughts in at the end of the, the episode here, but thank you so much for joining me, Luke and bat. I'm going to include you as well because it was such a wonderful discussion and we had such a good time and there's so much more to discuss about Loki and Luke, where do you think are some, interesting ways that people what are what is some advice that you would think if if you if someone came to you and said hey i think loki's tapping me on the shoulder uh what's some advice that you would give to that person what's what's kind of like a a 30 second bit of this is what you should do if you think loki's reaching out to you i think uh read the myths we talked about that earlier get that knowledge and then reach out yourself like like reach out directly uh community is wonderful 
But I think that the first thing to do here is not to worry about doing it right, not to worry about giving offense. Find that part of you that's really interested and be authentic about it and just reach out because I have never run into anybody who has done that and come up with a bad answer. It might not be a comfortable answer. It might not be the answer you were expecting. But if you reach out, he'll reach back and it'll be much better in the long run. Wow, that's great advice, really. I think this is such great advice. Thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah. And so thank you, Luke, for joining me. And thank you, Bat, for joining me on this podcast about uh, Loki and about how Loki is interacting and working with people today. That's such an amazing thing. I mean, we build and we're inspired by how Loki influenced the, uh, our ancestors. But basically, we've got to deal with our lives today. And it's interesting how Loki is presenting himself, themselves, herself to us. I, I agree. It absolutely is. And, and keep an eye out for the Loki devotional, which will be uh, presented via the Troth. So the call for submissions for the Loki devotional is coming out, is, is out open through May. People can reach out to BAT. I think that they're going to give you the information about that so you can include it in the notes. And then we're hoping to have a publication date by December 2020. Woo! That sounds really great. That means we'll have to have uh, either both of you or one of you on to discuss that, uh, which would probably be bad if it's that only would be, one. Yeah, that's bad, baby. <laughs> when that happens, I, I will have Bat back with me and we will discuss what some of those things are. And that sounds really cool. Luke, I hate to put you on the spot, but are you submitting something for this devotional? I feel like if I didn't, I'd get in trouble. So yeah, you can you can expect to see me. <laughs> I'm glad that you were able to respond that way. <laughs> I hate to have said, had you say, um, no, actually, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> so this has been so fun. I'm so glad that you and Bat were able to join us for the podcast. And we had such a wonderful time. And uh, I have just got to say that being a part of Loki, the community with Loki is truly amazing. And meeting people like you both is truly a wonderful experience for me. And I'm so blessed and thank you so much for being a physical representative of Loki's fun, Loki's whims whimsical nature, Loki's mischievousness, and Loki's love and devotion. Well, the feeling is absolutely mutual. Thank you for having us on. Thanks so much. And uh, with that, I'm going to end this and stand by, folks, for a couple of words from our friend Bat, who had to depart us due to technological differences. Thank you so much. Thank you. Hey, everyone. It's Bat. What I was trying to say before we had some major technical difficulties was that um, Loki, in my experience in my life, can be a catalyst for positive change, um, but change that can be difficult or change that I am digging my heels in about and, and don't want to do. And he gives me a little bit of a push. What has been catalyzed this evening, in fact, is my need to get a new phone. So I will probably purchase that fairly soon. Anyway, thank you so much to Jan um, for having me on the show and to Luke for chatting with me again. Um, you two are both amazing and I had a really good time. Um, thank you so much for your patience too with some of my technical difficulties. A couple of my upcoming projects that I'm working on in regards to Loki are one, the Tros Loki devotional book, which I'm the editor-in-chief of. Submissions are currently open until May 2020. Any Troth member is very much welcome to submit, whether that's um, art, fiction, nonfiction, poetry, rituals, any other kinds of experiences with Loki that you would um, enjoy having in this book. Experiences with Loki's family as well are more than welcome. The other project that I'm working on, which is pretty fun, is 
on April 3rd, 2020 in Phoenix, Arizona in the courtyard of Fantasia Crystals. We will be performing a short comedy play that is a modern retelling of the story of Thrymskvila in the Poetic Edda where Thor loses his hammer and needs to dress up as Freya in order to get it back. Um, this play, which I wrote, I am going to be playing a part in as Loki, and several of my friends and co-workers are on board as well. It's a very queer-friendly take on, on the original tale. We are definitely promoting a message of divine queerness, the idea that queerness itself is sacred, um, and that our gods particularly in this case, Loki and Thor, um, really embrace queerness and queer people. So that'll be really awesome. Like I said, April 3rd, 2020, totally free. If, if anyone in the area wants to sign up, feel free to give Fantasia Crystals a call and you can get on the list. Um, again, thank you so much to Jan and Luke. You two are amazing and doing really awesome work. And I look forward to talking again with you soon. Thank you. Have a good night. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast and welcome to our guests. Please leave positive comments on iTunes and other podcast distributors. This helps others to find the podcast. Please send feedback and ideas to giftsoftheweird at gmail.com. Follow the podcast on Twitter at Weird Gifts, Facebook at Gifts of the Weird, and on Instagram at Weird Gifts One. Thank you and hail the gods.